Men's Alliance is a growing movement of tribes meeting weekly for a rugged outdoor workout and a real-world devotion around a fire. We're flipping tires, swinging sledgehammers, talking about real struggles, and getting pushed physically and spiritually to become the husbands, fathers, and leaders God designed us to be. We'll get you out of isolation, out of your comfort zone, and into something tribal, rugged, and real. Welcome to the Men's Alliance Podcast. I'm Dave Mills, Goose. Dusty Parker, Shadow. Robert Coons, Pops. Awesome. We got Pops with us today. It seems like we're saying this all the time, but everybody we get on the podcast is somebody that we've been trying to get on the podcast yeah. for several months. So we're really excited to have you here, man. And um, start off, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and how you got that awesome call sign. Oh, gosh. I got that awesome call sign. All right. Um, well, the uh, prelude to this morning was my growing up in Catholicism. I came out of a big family in Michigan. I'm the oldest of five. Go blue. Go blue. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was oldest of five and still am. <laughs> yeah. They may be listening. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> They're spread around the nation. And I, uh, I had what I would call a pretty all-American good boy life i don't know i was uh never i was a valedictorian of an all-boys catholic high school and an eagle scout so that that pretty much sums it up right there i think john mellencamp sings songs about you maybe uh yeah <laughs> he does occasionally springsteen <laughs> and uh <laughs> so that was life was uh growing up in in the suburbs of detroit and uh going out in the woods pretty much all summer with scouts and getting into good trouble, did go off to University of Michigan. Um, and then you want to know about the call sign pops so how that came about. So that came about, I had, um, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a double sub 40 grandpa. I haven't met too many of those lately. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm actually That's a, right. uh, quadruple sub 45 grandpa now. Oh, yeah. nice. So yeah. Congrats. My, uh, thank you. Yeah. My, uh, my son Bishop, and my daughter Bronte have been prolific and uh <laughs> starting early families as was my wife Monique so they all we, we've all started young and then um uh I have another daughter Gabrielle she's uh she's younger she's 11. So you and, have three, uh, three kids? Yeah three kids. So you started pretty young then huh? No actually um Monique started young I met her oh. later I met her in, I met her in the driveway of the uh duplex that we formerly owned in uh, Colorado. <laughs> I came home one day, the other half had been for sale. They were both for sale at the same time. Like, I don't want that half. That half looks like it needs some work. And no way. I was kind of a crazy bachelor running around in the woods in the mountains of Colorado. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm taking the half that's been repoed by the bank. It's been painted white. I don't have to do anything with right. it and leave for the weekend. And um like literally 16 days i mean march 16th of uh, 2007 i remember coming home from work around like four o'clock and garage door opens I'm like oh there's all these cars next door what is going on here it looks like they you know signs down house must be for sale she walked out and i was like my first thought was like, oh my gosh this is trouble <laughs> do you remember the date you met your wife oh yeah that's yeah, cool i do too <laughs> <laughs> no so she bought she bought the, the other half side of, the duplex. of your duplex yeah. And then, um, she, she, I, we both refer to it now. She's like, we had to dance yeah, like back and forth, like meeting each other for yeah. months and months and months. And, uh, that was March. And then June of next year we were married. 
Dude, that's a great story. I love that. Yeah. So she, yeah. she had kids already or no? Yeah, Bishop okay. and Bronte met them when they were 13 and 11. Okay, cool. And um, I'll tell you what, that's, that's uh, that, well, actually, that's something we have in common with. I mean, I don't consider them adopted. I know you adopted, right, but it's a similar right. thing where you, where you, you bring in teenagers and you're where like, you oh, go from what I'm doing. You go from zero to teenager. You go from zero to teenager. Overnight. Would, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've been there. That is, that is yeah, a whole, so. that's a whole podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. we should just do for people that are uh, <laughs> yeah that are in that situation. It's uh, it's great, and it's all it's like everything is magnified. Yeah, the highs and the lows are like just um, you know even more high and more low. That's um that's a cool part of your story. So you're in Colorado. You grow up. Mm. You're valedictorian of an all boys Catholic <laughs> school. You said right, yeah. and Eagle Scout. Yeah. Um, all right, so you're in Colorado. You're yeah. a you're a brewer, yeah, uh, for Coors, yeah, and uh, and you're an outdoor guy. So tell us what what you get into. What were you doing on your free time there? Yeah, um, well, I was I was predominantly in 2007. I was I, a lot of rock climbing. That's the bottom line. A lot of rock climbing. I was getting into backcountry skiing. Um, I never hit any of the caliber of anything. Don't I mean, don't confuse me with real climbers and nothing like you ever saw on tv a chip on my shoulder and something to prove pretty much all the time it was a cover of a patagonia <clears throat> i think it was a patagonia uh uh advertisement you get in the mail remember mm -hmm. we used to get mailers yeah <laughs> don't do that anymore but yeah it was like 2000 or 2001 or 90 i don't know it was around the time i got out of college i remember it was this one of dean potter on the cover and he's climbing half dome alone yeah. with a rope like this whole method of how you do it on yeah your and i saw this photo of him and i was like that dude that's my life that's going to be my yeah. life really i had never climbed in all and i was like about how old were you 23 okay really late to the sport i mean most people probably would have gotten into it at that point i don't know 12 to 14 so, yeah. so I, was, I was starting way too late yeah but um you know went at it and that was that was like my idea so i just i got yeah. absorbed in it yeah. so i have had three near-death experiences yeah. in the month of august mm -hmm. and and that was and a each devotion. one is like freaking crazy and it was ahead, it was sorry. the 15th anniversary of the second one and i've i don't i used to talk about it a lot when it happened and i stopped over the years and i've actually been thinking about it for weeks because mm -hmm. afterwards i was sharing it with my wife and she said the same thing that she used to say for years that would get me to stop talking about it i was like if that had such an impact on your faith walk like why didn't you come to the Lord sooner? I'm really condensing a lot of conversations she and I had. No, I understand. And, and she was just like, you know, there's not a whole lot of, of glorying of the Lord. And I have, re I'll tell you what, I wrestled all September with that. And I was like, yeah, I'm right back to where I started. Why do I go back to this story? Why is it so important? And I think, you know, bottom line uh, is, uh, this is, I mean, this is going to sound a little George Bailey, but I think it's appropriate for the season. And I love that movie anyway. It's like, you, you, yeah. you, you think sometimes that you don't really matter and you don't have an impact in people's life. And you really just aren't going to know sometimes until later, or maybe even on this side of heaven, of what in the world impact you actually have. Mm. And I think you're also very blind. And I had a, a very close friend of mine, Dale Hansen used to tell me, he's like, he introduced me to that concept of the hounds of heaven from C.S. Lewis. And he's like, yeah. man. You, he's like, I would tell him these stories. He's like, you have had the hounds of heaven on you since before you knew. And I was like, Dale, what are you talking about? I barely even, I'm like, I just started reading the Bible again. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and um, that's you know, the point. That's I the point. Sometimes huge events happen in our life 
and um, they do not result in an immediate change. Yeah, I think that's entirely normal. Um, in fact, so, you know, you could kind of make a case for like the bigger the event, kind of the longer it might take to process it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a. It, I'm still processing it. Yeah, and you know, just for our listeners too, I just want to say this because they don't all know you. Uh, these are not stories you go around telling. Um, and I think that's an important thing because you're talking about like you went a long period of time like without telling the story. And and yeah. kind of like sometimes we have a story that's so big and so powerful and personal that we kind of have to retire it for a season. I'll be honest. I mean, <laughs> we're batting around it a lot. But, you know, I was up last night. Like, I was actually sleeping a whole lot last night because I started thinking about it again and yeah. in, in a good way. Usually when I do, it is really good. Um I think some of it is, I don't know, like there's a sliver moon out right now. I remember watching that the whole night up on the side of Half Dome. You're kind of like, whoa, you just jumped to the middle of the story, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, maybe, 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 maybe I'll back it up. It's this whole death month thing. Cause well, it, I want to back it up to, to what you just said. Go to the, you said the 15th year yeah. anniversary. So what I had done was I put a note in my phone about a year or two ago. And uh, no, a year ago. Um, cause I realized that wasn't taking the time to reflect on it in any manner, like with any heart of gratitude whatsoever. Right. And I'd gotten pretty focused on who I was, um, before and leading up to these events, who I was for two years after that as a non-believer and realizing like, wow, that was a lot of ugly. That was a lot of not good. There were a lot of things going on. I mean, I almost broke up my marriage. And um, before it even barely started, who knows? It's how important long or to what reflect, it is, but... is what I'm hearing you say. You yeah, know, it's like important you to reflect. To, you need to reflect, and you need to um, have that gratitude. So I think that's cool. So you put a reminder in your phone. Yeah, and, and so this year in August. Yeah, and on August 20th, it said celebrate life. Because mm. at 7:45, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I always remember. My wife's like, "How do you always remember like the time and dates for things?" I'm like, "How do you not? Like they're pretty <laughs> impactful." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I don't. I wish I did. Yeah, man, that's awesome. All right, so we're gonna um, now that we've got the the I listeners know. just dying to hear. Yeah, we're gonna take a we're gonna take a quick break, um, and then we'll come right back. We'll hear from Pop. Hey, this is Dusty Shadow Parker. I just wanted to take a break here and tell y'all help us reach more men. We cannot sharpen men into the husbands, fathers, and leaders that God designed us to be without your financial support. Your donations enable us to launch and sustain tribes at more churches and reach more men with the gospel of Christ. Men's Alliance is a 501c3 nonprofit, so your financial support is tax deductible. Go to mensalliancetribe.com support to join our team. Now go refill up your coffee and enjoy the rest of this podcast. Okay, we're back with Pops. So Pops, tell us uh, about this August. What what was the year? Yeah, so uh, first one was 2006. And okay. it was August 26th. Okay. It was a Saturday. And... Um, had a down day and uh, was hanging out with a climbing partner and uh, weather wasn't looking pretty good. This is outside of Boulder. 
and um and then cleared up and you know first rule out in the rockies they'll tell you well, pretty much any big mountain range out west is like hey you got to be down by one o'clock get up early down by one o'clock after one o'clock you never know what's going to happen with rainstorms snowstorms sleet storm whatever all of them um so weather broke looked good and we said you know what let's do it let's make a day of it let's get out anyway try to make the best of it and um i don't even know there was a plan that morning whatever plan we came up with was pretty spontaneous there's this peak uh it's pretty much due west of boulder there's a town west of boulder called netherland and there's a ski resort out there called eldora um and there's an old i think like mining town there's like all these mining towns scattered yeah. throughout all over colorado and uh so you um you know hike packs past it there's trails up there and they go up the continental divide and uh there's this mountain up there called mount neva n-e-v-a and it's up about 12 and a half 12 12,400 feet and it's up on the continental divide so you see on the other side you see into um north park and the ski resorts out at winter park and and um so got up there i don't know midday and it was just rainy and overcast all day or not not even really rainy rain had let up it was just overcast all day and and, and cold and there was a big ridge um nothing super technical and nothing that required any ropes or anything uh, but we brought gear and um uh, for wet weather just in case no technical rock gear uh, this person knew the whole route so followed it out and pretty much goes south down the continental divide and closing in on noon so this is getting later in the day it's like 11 45 the weather starts turning quickly and we're within several hundred feet of the summit and um uh, you can see over the ridge you can start seeing across the 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 park that's what they call them, the big uh basins between the mountain ranges mm. and you're like oh man those clouds look pretty ominous and they look like they're moving and you can like you know things are 50 60 70 miles away but you can tell they're moving so you know they must be moving 50 60 70 miles yeah. an hour and you're like yeah. all right we better get up this thing and get down and just greedy just like got this no problem we're gonna get up we're gonna summit and get out of here not even eat you know um and we summited it and i'll tell you what it, it wasn't it, it was what's like that, watching um you go to the, the going to the, the top. very top yeah, yeah the very top of the peak and um I don't know what in the world happened, but this storm cut loose so hard and so fast and so horizontal. I don't know how to explain mm -hmm. it any other way. And um, it wasn't rain. It started as like uh, uh, pellets of ice. So there's this term for it called grapple. And usually it's referred to when you get like uh, melt thaw cycles on the sides of mountains and you get like the sides of the mountains are covered in grapple. This was like flying out of the air. And we call it hail. We call it hail. <laughs> yes, we call it hail in, in Virginia. We call yeah. it that in Michigan Us too. Mortals call yeah. it hail. <laughs> so um, we're in a hailstorm, and I, I could not make this up if I tried. All of a sudden, it started lightning, and the thing that it was not counter—it's it, counterintuitive, but it clicks real fast because your adrenaline starts racing, and you're like, "I'm in a lightning storm." The lightning mm -hmm. is going horizontal, and I was like, "Oh man." electricity moves through a solid much better than a gas like the air so you've got all this solid ice <laughs> carrying electrical current and we started watching all these horizontal forks of lightning all around us mm. i mean like you're literally in the middle of what would feel like a really bad scene in a movie yeah, yeah. and we we were already on the way down we just started running as best as you can in a boulder field run 
Yeah. yeah it was pretty rocky up there. And I just recall, um, you're hearing it and it's loud and it's booming all over the place. And I remember looking over my right shoulder and look back. My partner was behind me and I actually watched it. I watched the lightning hit the ground and you heard like splash lightning where it kind of like it hits different spots. It almost yeah. looks like it like hits the ground and comes back out. Like ricochets. Like hit the ground, hit the part. And then I was out. And it was like cold booting a computer. <sighs> and then I don't know how much time passed. I don't know if it was three seconds or 30 seconds or what. And um, I don't know. I, it, it, it was it was like, whoop, you know, <laughs> central yeah. nervous system comes back on. And you're I, I, for a half a second, I was like, did my heart stop? Yeah. You know, and I'm like, nope, heart's beating. Look around, see the partner. And we just like get up and start running again. So you were you were down. Oh, I was on the ground. I mean, okay. it like it, it was like getting cold cocked in the back of the head. Yeah. So one minute you're on your feet running. Yeah. And, and then you you're just struck with lightning. Struck wake, with lightning. You're waking up on the ground. Oh yeah, I had a headache. It hit me in the back right. Did you feel uh, like electrocuted? Did you no, have that sensation? Or? No. And it was funny. So, you know, after you like, and then it passes as soon as it comes on, and you're like, I cannot believe that the two of us are alive, you know, and you have that kind of freak out moment. Yeah. Did you get any like special powers afterwards? Man, I wish. <laughs> yeah. That's Which how it happens. That's how it happens. Yeah. That's how it happens. <laughs> you didn't even get a special call sign. I know. He's heating his coffee right now with his finger. <laughs> Dude, that's insane. And, uh, and I went down, we had, um, I, I had a bunch of coworkers at work who, you know, big electrical buses. I mean, we had 13,000 volt buses at work and you're, you're splitting yeah. a lot, a lot of high power. So I'm talking to the guys who are electricians at work. I'm like, how in the world, you know, could this happen? And, and, and I knew the one guy pretty well. And he was like, not really surprised. He was pretty nonplussed about the whole thing. <laughs> and he said, well, you're wearing your rain suit, right? I said, yeah. And he's like, it's warm enough. It's melting. Right. And I said, Yeah. And he's like, well, all that ice and hail is melting. It's forming little drops on the outside of your suit. And it's what they call a Faraday cage. He's like, that's how they do yeah. high power work. Yeah. He goes, he's like, you just lucked out. You, you, you both must have been covered in enough moisture on the outside of your like Gore-Tex that it, it literally would, like the electricity would go into each little water droplet on the outside of your rain suit, yeah. down wow. your rain pants and into the ground. Wow. Man, that's, yeah. That's not and that, God. That's crazy, man. Uh, he, he hasn't seen this yet. You saw this, Dusty. So. Yeah. So here's the jacket. And here's the spot. That's it. That teeny little thing. I got to get a picture of this. That, yeah. that, is where, that is where lightning hit me in the back of the head. You can't even barely make it out of this. Do, hood, you, still wear, do you still wear that jacket? No, I kept it because I just thought this is one of these things you're going to show the grandkids. I know. I'd be a scared... To bring that around and those trekking poles that made it worse he goes where he goes where do you put those poles I'm like well, i was running so i put him on the pack he's like you dummy like the top of the tips are right. sticking out of the right side of your pack that's why it attracted into the right An side antenna. of your yeah. yeah i mean that's, talk about hubris you're like you know you're in the moment you're like just run yeah and like strap the poles on your pack like you normally wouldn't run get them out of the way nope that's not, that's not a good idea in a lightning storm so that that was that was that saturday afternoon you know a lot of people don't realize how fast those storms move in. You were talking about that. And um, a, a really good way to think of it is when you see, when you're standing on the ground, you see clouds moving really fast. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Think about like when you're standing on the ground and you see an airplane yeah, up yeah. really high. That airplane's moving kind of slowly. Yeah. Right? So sometimes those clouds are moving at hundreds of miles an hour. Yeah. Right? Sometimes yeah. they have, you know, a 200-mile tailwind pushing mm. those clouds that you're, you're standing there looking up at. So you can see storms that are like, you know, another state away yeah. can mm. be on you in 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. And then That's gone. Crazy, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is amazing. I can't believe you, uh, that's cool that you kept the jacket. I'm cool. That's, that's, a, that's cool. Out, that's and those are the outdoor research those are the jacket, poles. right? The poles. Yeah. No, it's low alpine. Oh, low alpine. Okay. Have you ever, outdoor con- research poles. Have you ever, that's right. Have you ever contacted them? I'm like, <laughs> you know, this jacket's lightning proof. <laughs> it's lightning proof, yeah. waterproof. And Faraday would have, would have been another great call sign. Yeah. It's too bad <laughs> I wasn't there on your call sign. Well, I was jealous when Element got his. I was like, man, that's dope. Uh, <laughs> Best call yeah, sign. You were Dusecki's so Dusecki's for me. <laughs> the most that's, interesting man in the world. That's right. So this was August of what year? 2006. Six. Yeah. Okay. I met my wife in March. Okay. In the driveway. That's the driveway part of the conversation. Yeah. So August 06. Yeah. You're struck by lightning. Yeah. Um. Tell us about your next August event. Yeah. So that that um previous June of 2006, I'd already, I don't know, made up like packed with myself. Like I'm going to Yosemite. At that point, I've been climbing for not long enough, really, honestly. I mean, 2007, so, you know, let's say seven years. And uh, progressively harder grades. And I like learning, learned in California, out in Tahoe, and had been to Yosemite in grad school. So I knew, I knew what the terrain was like and done, uh, was doing a lot more in the Rockies. I was doing some high altitude climbing uh, on the 14ers on ropes. And so it was gearing up, it was doing all the training and, um, you know, wait, weighted pull ups in the gym, going on climbing days, going on hiking days, biking to work. You know, it was like, Living the living the bachelor lifestyle. Oh, yeah, I was living. I was living the bachelor <laughs> lifestyle, working at a brewery. Yeah, I was just a single guy in Colorado working for Coors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like you know, living winter would come. Totally like my life, right? Living now. the dream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. And the winter was like, well, I got to take a break, so I guess I'll do some backcountry skiing, you know. And, and yeah. I look back on it, and I was such a bro. I mean, yeah. it was really, and I was, I was not saved. I mean, I was very narcissistic frankly mm. and um uh so i had had a had a partner buddy of mine who was i had met in california and come out for grad school in uh, denver super brilliant engineer phd engineer in robotics and he, he and i would just i don't know we hit it off years earlier and we were training together and we were learning together how to haul bags and you were asking about putting up portal edges and stuff like that and we, yeah. we uh you know we were we were doing the do we were learning all learning all the climbing that we could learn as fast as we could learn it and the whole goal was to go climb el cap and uh the salafe wall which was the first route that was pioneered uh, as a free climb meaning you weren't leaving a whole bunch of hardware behind for everybody else it was it was like i'll call it like the first like leave no trace effort mm-hmm. on a big alpine wall and um so uh like yvonne chenard of patagonia mm-hmm. was was uh, one of the people who pioneered that route and you can do it in, in four days, uh, three and a half. And so we mapped it all out. We're going to do this many pitches on day one and we're going to sleep on this ledge and we're going to bring these, you know, bivy backpacks and we're going to haul all the water, you know, have the haul bag and the gear and everything. And somewhere along that, uh, 
spring. I would have been like, you said sleep on a ledge. No, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, you tie in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like no thanks. <laughs> yeah, and um, so yeah, there were like three different. There are three different points. Um, that you 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 can you can tie in and sleep on. They're big enough for multiple yeah. people. Uh, mm -hmm. You can go look at these pictures all the time. Um, so we met another guy. Uh, was a was a friend of my partner's. So I was, I'd been climbing with this guy named Roy and uh roy godsdanker and he met another guy named ryan warsham along the way and ryan was like just uh, he was he was they call him rope guns he was just like he shows up he's like that looks incredibly hard awesome i'm climbing that and he could and he he just he just had that really natural athletic ability and we all had a different skill set so we were a team we had different stuff we could do well mm -hmm. and uh uh ryan was a great sport climber uh, Roy was a great face climber on, on like, like it looks sheer. It looks like there's nothing there and you got to find the little teeny that Roy was good for that. And then I always love this. I don't know why I like suffering generally in mountaineering adventures. And I like crack climbing and getting into chimneys and the stuff that usually means you're going to tear the skin off your hands, just using them as like holds and cracks and stuff. Yeah. Like mm. You put your fist in a little slight. Yeah. I mean, your, your hand like a knife and then you close your fist yeah. so it can't come out. And that's like your anchor point, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. The long, the long story short was great idea, poor execution, very different personalities, and we did not hack it. We never got past like five pitches. We tried twice at the bottom mill cap, didn't get past five pitches. That part in the movie, if you ever go watch that movie Free Solo where he's like the most terrifying pitch of this whole thing is near the bottom, yeah. that was the one that stopped us. Mm. And um, it's uh, and we split up. And Roy had the car, and he was from California from the Bay. And we had a big fight and blowout. Yeah, to this day, I regret it. Mm. I mean, the three of us do not communicate or talk. That's that's a whole other story, and, and frankly, all on me um, from my perspective. But at any rate, um, Ryan and I were left in the valley, and <laughs> so we did a different route on El Cap. So you guys um, had a fight on this, yeah, trip. Yeah, yeah how, how to you do guys it, how to execute up. it. We yeah. weren't treating each other well, right? And just frankly. I, you guys are just frustrated over the circumstances, basically. Frustrated. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to go hang out with my parents and take a couple of days and yeah. get myself back together. I'll meet you guys back here. We'll try something else. Right. You know, and I think when you've got like a whole year built up, like you're going to train for this thing. Right. Do right, this right, thing, right, right. Oh, yeah. It, and you're not getting very far. And you're like, you know, you all have the skill set together to somehow do it. And, and like, that's the thing about a team, right? It's not really about t the technical. It's about the, the relational. <laughs> that's what makes a good team. Yeah. Um. So we weren't, you know, and we were like crazy headstrong, 28 to 30 year old dudes. Yeah. You know, just take three guys who are, you know, 26, 28 and 30, put them together and, and figure out, you know, who's not wrong. Right. It sounds kind of like you're describing, um, you know, I think of sports, football, basketball. Yeah. Like the all-star team. Yeah. Yeah, it, the all-star team is never fun to watch because there's not a lot of chemistry. No. no, these guys haven't been playing together. They're all just individual stars sharing the court or the yeah. field, you know. And that's what you guys were. You were all all stars. Well, we weren't stars. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. We weren't stars, and we're doing something new that we've never done before, and learn and, and not having that grace with each other like you're doing something new you haven't done mm. before, and um, a lot of pressure because you said you'd been thinking about this, planning this for a year. Yeah. So it doesn't happen. <clears throat> and um, Ryan and I go do some other climbs. And then, you know, I didn't know him very well. He knew Roy very well. So we started striking up this relationship 
in, you know, out of like necessity. And, um, so we had climbed, um, another route on El Cap significantly. So these routes are like 30 pitches. A pitch is anywhere from a hundred to 200 feet. This face is 3000 feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, how long does it take to do like a hundred to 200 feet? Depends on your skill set. I mean, there are people who well, do just, it in like, what's an average. I don't know. For me back then, I don't know if we were really moving. Honestly, I can't even remember. Let's say, let's say anywhere from a half hour to an hour is reasonable. Okay. When you're moving really well, it could be a lot less when you're feeling the flow. I don't know. It might yeah. be 15 minutes. And it okay. also depends on like the grade. A lot of things weigh into it. Okay. Half hour to an hour. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you figure like 10 hours of climbing a day, three days, and you get it knocked out. All right. So we ended up doing a different one that was a 10 pitch climb. It's about, I don't know, I can't remember if it's a thousand or 11 or 1200 feet or something like this. It's like on the, yeah, this route was like pretty much near the center of this giant face in the Yosemite Valley. And then the East Buttress is all the way on the east side, uh, further into the valley. And uh, we came down from that and we were feeling pretty good. Um, and we were gelling and we were moving and getting it done, you know, and we went down and celebrated, had a pizza and drank a beer. And we met these two guys who had just come down from Half Dome. And we're like, oh, what are you guys doing? You know, you, how's your day? It's, it's typical. That was that, That's typical of climbers. Pretty much anywhere. They're yeah. always asking questions, getting beta information, thinking about dreaming the next big dream, you know. <laughs> and um, uh, these guys are like, oh, we just we just climbed Half Dome today. And we were like, today? Like in a day? Yeah. You did it in a day? And you're like, yeah, you can do it in a day. And we were like, really? It, it hadn't even dawned on us. And uh, they, so they gave us all the information. She's like, yeah, bring this gear, this gear. You don't need all this. And it was a pretty stripped down set. I mean, right. like of all your rock protection you bring with you, all the all the different devices. And I was like, that's all you need? And like, oh, yeah, you, you know, if you know this technique and this technique, you, you, you fly through. And uh, what's, what's rock protection? Uh, there are these little pieces of aluminum, that machined aluminum that are made to fit into those flares and cracks. Mm. Uh, that's one type. There's another type that's like a spring-loaded. So they're like the tools that you use to the tie, tie into or whatever. Yep. Yeah, they're the tools. Like your anchor points. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, I had actually uh, laminated little copies that you could fold up and put in your pants while you're on route of this route. Kind mm-hmm. of like as a, man, if we're awesome and we pull off El Cap, we're going to go climb half him. You know, because yeah. if Dean Potter can climb both of them in a day, I can climb both of them in a right. week. You know, yeah. I'm going to be here for two weeks. This is going to happen. You know, like I, that was where I was at mentally. I was completely foolish. This was not ever going to happen. You know? right. And so we go out and do this. So we geared up and convinced ourselves, yep, yeah, let's try it. We don't know when Roy's coming back. You know, I can't remember if we sent him a text or not. I don't know. I wouldn't even text people very much. People had to convince me to get a cell phone back then. I would go do things out in the wild and just show up later at work like nothing had happened. Mm-hmm. That was my general bad attitude. And um, so we, we went to go do half dome and everything just starts the whole event started poorly from the get go. Like we woke up, you know, we got to the base. This one's 2000, 2200 feet. And it's like 20, 22 pitches, 20 some pitches. And um, we were like, all right, we're gonna leave at 530 at daylight, slept in, it's cold. You know, you're 3000 feet above the valley. So it's like subalpine up there. Started an hour late, had to get in line behind another crew that had started ahead of us. These two guys were hauling. They're going super slow. We get five pitches up. They're 10 pitches up. They drop their haul bag. <laughs> Dropping their haul bag. Imagine, imagine like your military duffel, yeah. like everything you got to have with you for months. And it's full of water jugs 
and food and gear. And yeah. I looked up and they're like water jugs just like crescendoing out of this bag 500 feet above me. Oh my gosh. And they're coming down like, you know, one yeah. gallon bullets. Um, that was on top of the ones that the tourists who at six o'clock in the morning had summited were launching off the top. Oh, so we woke up an hour late because people were dropping rocks 2,200 feet above us onto the ground. Oh, it should have been like your signal not to, not to be there that day. Yeah. So many things went crazy. We got to like the 12th pitch. There was some giant bird, hawk, raptor, whatever it was. There must've been a nest there. It was like dive bombing us at one point where we're trying to take a lunch break. I got wickedly off route at one point and ended up on the face when I was supposed to be in this big chimney system, had to down climb something that was way above my normal up climbing grade. Couldn't figure out how I got there. Lost a bunch of hours about a third of the way up the face. Had to start over and um, realized we were not doing this in a day. You so know. when you say you start over, you climb back down. Climb back down this face. So back. how high were you when oh, you at that like point, I was realized easily... you needed to start over? It was like 1,100 feet. Yeah. I had to go back to like 1,000 feet. <laughs> like go back down. Yeah. Wheel back back into this crack system. And I, I just don't know how. It, it's you're, you're literally in the middle of a giant sea of granite. Like you yeah. look around. All, all you see around you everywhere is just granite. And it gets really disorienting after a while. It's like being on the ocean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started making some time and, um, better time, got back on route, got up and then we realized, oh man, it's getting dark. And I realized, okay, we, you know, we talk about it. My other partner is not the crack climber. I'm the crack climber. This section is all the big chimney cracks. I'm like, all right, I got to hunker down. I had like 400 feet of this to do. And just, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I got kind of like into machine mode. Like you're just doing the motions and you're doing it and you're making good time and you're moving through and. Got out to a, um, a ledge system. There's this one spot called uh, uh, Big Sandy Ledge. It's like pitch 17 out of, I think, 22 or 24, whatever it is. And um, we're like, all right, we're going to get to Big Sandy Ledge. That's where we're going to tie in. We're just going to suck it up, sleep out here. We're going to finish up the pitches. And then, you know, we'll hike down in the morning. Because the thought was we'd do it all in one day and we'd hike down at night with headlamps. Right. And um, uh, I... Ryan anchored in and I moved out and it's this big traversing motion. So you had to go out to your right on this cliff about 1700 feet up and, you know, outright for, I don't know, probably at least 30, if not maybe 50 feet. It, it, it's a long while ago, <laughs> but, yeah. and then you had to go up another, let's say hundred feet. It's technical. It's challenging just to set that up and not have a whole bunch of drag and friction and everything to begin with. Things are getting darker. It's after seven o'clock. I'm trying to hustle. And, um, place to pee, got to a spot where I was like, oh man, I can't really tell which crack system I'm supposed to be in. And they're getting like tighter and thinner. Mm -hmm. And I know they're supposed to peter out near this ledge and I'm not making this up. I found out afterwards I was like whopping six feet to the left of where I needed to be. I just picked the wrong crack. You know, you stretch your arms out and that's the margin of error on this giant cliff face. Yeah. Fingertip to fingertip. And place to peace and i had not great gear below me like there was just not a lot of great placements and you place them with the intention of not falling but you place them so if you do fall they hold yeah and this one i was like oh man i don't know this one's gonna hold this one's kind of sketch and and it was and uh the way i was doing this uh technique where you're uh, aid climbing where you're actually putting your body weight on the gear so we were it, it was mixed some of it was all just your own 
own body motion and some of it you're putting body weight on the gear. And in this case, we were switching back and forth on this pitch. And um, so put a put a piece of uh, webbing, nylon webbing on it to use it as a, as a step up. And I uh, went to step on it and the thing just popped right out. And what, I, I was so off balance on it that when I popped out and fell, I, th I thought, okay, here we go. I've fallen, I've taken falls before. And it was not like any other fall because I fell completely backwards you know, ass over headwards. <laughs> I mean, it was, mm. I mean, I was, I, my head was down and my back is like hurtling past the wall. Right. And I thought for, and it was long enough that I could think, you know, and I was like, okay, that first piece is gonna, and then I just saw it go pop and then it makes that sound and it shot out of the wall over my head. And I was like, okay, here comes the next. And it, that one pop mm. out of the wall. And I'm like, it's called a zipper when multiple of them come yeah. out. And then I was like, Oh, I'm dying. Yeah. You know, like it was long enough. Like the fall was long enough. I'm like, where you could think I could think you I'm going to die. You could think about what was happening. Yeah. I really don't know why I did this. Probably because I, I don't know. And I just calmed down. I'm like, here we go. You know, like I was just like ready for it to end. I, I, mm -hmm. I still don't know why that would occur and why you wouldn't tense up. And it's probably one of the reasons I'm, I'm actually here. So that, that fall actually got caught in the end. I think at least three pieces came out, maybe four. And um, the piece that caught me was a piton that was put in by Yvonne Chouinard. Or sorry, it was put in by uh, uh, Royal Robbins, who probably bought the piece from Yvonne Chouinard in the Valley in the 50s, in 1957. Hmm. This is 2007. 50 years later, is a piece of steel in the side of a mountain. That was the one that caught. Saved your life. Yeah. Saved my life. So by Patagonia, that's a, <laughs> by Black Diamond. <laughs> Those are the answers. Yeah. And, um, so 40 feet down to the piton, 40 feet below the piton. And I took an 80 foot whipper and depending on the rope stretch, cause the rope stretches, I don't, right. it might've been 90. So every time one of those pops, there's more rope. Yeah. Right. So now there's more momentum. Oh yeah. Right. So it's the same thing as like when people, um, are climbing up yeah. a snow covered mountain and they're all tied together. And the first guy starts to slide. Totally. The second guy, well, the third guy is screwed because he's got the momentum of the first two. That's what I'm picturing because your length of rope is doubling oh. or so. Yep. Imagine oh, Ryan. My gosh. I mean, that dude had to watch me do this. Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, so he, was he above you or was he Eventually, beside yeah. you? <laughs> Eventually, yeah. Well, he was him. off to your was, left, right? So he was below you left. when you fell. He was below me. Okay. And then he, when I ended, he was above me. And you guys weren't on the same rope. We were on the same rope. That's the only reason... We are alive. Okay. <laughs> this conversation. He's so you on the didn't other take end. him with you? No, he's tied in and on another anchor okay. that he had made between another piton and some other pieces he put in. Yeah. But this fall, did it did it injure you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You're, you're, you might not, like the things kept you from falling, but still you're coming to a massive Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hit the wall. stop. Yeah, I hit the wall one, two, three. I bounced three times. And uh, one of them cracked my helmet uh, in the back, almost ironically in the exact same spot where that lightning hit me, which is kind of uncanny, but not really, because really nothing is an accident. Yeah. Um, the other one uh, broke four of my lateral spinous processes on my T9 to T12. And the third one were my climbing shoes, my descent shoes had been clipped into my 
uh, harness. Mm-hmm. And those got wedged in between me and the wall. And those snapped the the dorsal, the bump on your spine. You, know, you bend over and feel the bumps on your spine. The two on my uh, L1 and L2, the top of my lumbar. So those six in a row got cracked. Wow. And I didn't know it. And um, I'm dangling there. And, you know, like there's so much adrenaline in you. It's so crazy. Like you, you are aware of every second. Those seconds are like... I don't know. They're yeah. years, months, whatever they are. Right. They, you 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 watch things flying past you. Everything they, slows down. Everything's that whole event I, is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it actually happens. I get down at the bottom, dangling. I'm you know just freaking out and cussing and yelling, and then I realize I'm like, I gotta I gotta get back up there. Oh man! All right, so you're hanging there. Yeah, and now you got to get up. Yeah, and you do because there's so much adrenaline in your body. You don't even realize you're broken. Actually, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I just lived. Yeah. I didn't re- I, I didn't know what, was, what had happened. Um, but you're in shock, and you you got to climb up. So I got to go at least 40 feet up and to my left on something that is not the route and find a way to get up there. So why wasn't your, like, thought to go down? Like, I'm going down. I ain't going back up. Well, we didn't bring two ropes. So okay. there wasn't a way to tie the two of them together and rappel down from station to station. So you couldn't go down. I, here was my thought. There's one rope. We're going up. We're getting back up to the ledge. We're tying into the ledge. And we're going up tomorrow. There is no other option. That is the option. <laughs> wow. And um, some really weird things start happening. And I shared, <laughs> shared this at the devotion. I said, you know, I, I, I don't know about wonders and signs and miracles. I think they're probably more common than people think some really, and I know that your brain does weird things when you're out in these environments to like protect yourself and take care of yourself. So I honestly cannot tell you sometimes what, what happens next to like, what, what is, what is real? What, what is providence or what was imaginary? Mm-hmm. You know, I swear I, I tell people in halfway up, I hadn't eaten much that day. We had like a couple power bars in water. I'm not kidding. Like 20 feet up, in my mind to this day, I still encountered a mysterious peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the side of a cliff, mm-hmm. 1,700 feet up in the air. My absolute favorite lunch I've been eating since I could eat lunch. Yeah. You just found one? Just found one. I, I'm telling you, honestly, I, 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 I have reflected on I don't share this much because it makes you sound like you're insane. And I was like, was that just like my brain trying to tell myself like it's going to be okay? Or was there, did I really literally eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Like, this is one of the questions I want to ask Jesus when I die. Like, what, what actually happened? Because mm. it's just too, it, it's bizarro land. So I got up and I we spent the know. night. And um, cliff, here's cliff magic. Here's a cliff magic. Yeah, it was not, it was not a cliff bar. I'll tell you that. <laughs> those, were, those were in short supply. We scarfed those things and that was all we had. So yeah. I got up and it's dark and you get benighted and you spend the night out. And we're on a ledge, and that ledge is no wider than that table, you know, your table in your office over there. There's, you know, two grown men sitting side by side, tied into a wall. And my partner, I had a long sleeve shirt, he had a short sleeve shirt, and he was colder, he was getting hypothermic. So I was like, all right, look, you get in the wall, and I'll sit next to you, and I'll sit on the edge, and we'll just cuddle up, cuddle up basically. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna freeze here and like right. throw the backpacks on, on our chests and like kind of hover, you know, hold on them. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, um, 
then the other crazy thing happened that night. And I'll tell you what, when you're sitting there and your right leg is just kind of dangling in space and you're watching the moon rise and set and all the lights of all the campers in the valley and all the lights on the cliffs of the other people who are intentionally safely spending the night on cliffs in Yosemite and you're just kind of watching all that, like it became evident during the night. I was like, okay, tour muscle. Now my back's really hurting. This is really hurting. That's really hurting. I'm going through, I'm like, I'm in a lot of pain. And three in the morning, all of a sudden, we start hearing this voice uh, of two men. And again, this is another one of those things where like <laughs> nobody found them. Nobody knows who they are. They, there's no name for these two male voices on the top of Half Dome in the Yosemite National Park at three in the morning right. on August 21st of 2007. And we hear them. And uh, this is the headlamp I bring every week to Men's Alliance. So I'm yep. wearing this. And you know, one of the features, you know, it's got the blink. Right. So mm -hmm. I put the blink on and they call down and um, they're like, do you need help? And that was probably honestly, I was like, no. I just kind of wanted to know who they were. This is like, I'm still like, we're going to climb this thing tomorrow. And then something clicked and it was like, what if you're not? What if you're not OK? What if this is worse than you think it is? Stop being stupid. Accept some help. Right. You know, and um you know, we do, we do not struggle alone exactly. unless you choose to. Yeah. Yeah. That is a choice. And, um, they radioed down to the, the valley and by six o'clock, you know, somebody search and rescues up there calling up with bullhorns, 1030, they're out there with helicopters. They commission everybody who's up on top of that mountain to like become part of a hall team. They set up a giant rigging system. They send down two nurses. I could not make this up either. The one guy's name is James and the other guy's name is John. That was not lost on me in the moment. <laughs> mm. Not for a half a second. A nurse named James and a, uh, or sorry, John and a, and a, a wilderness EMT named, named James. So these so dudes, you're, you're sitting there. This is the uh, moment you alluded to at the very beginning of this yeah. podcast where you saw the uh, sliver moon. Yeah. While you were sitting there that night and you hear these two voices. Yeah. And they're asking you if you need help. How did and they you're know? Thinking yeah. to yourself, uh, no, no, I'm good. Yeah. I'm going to still make it. Yeah. But then you're starting to have that second guess like, what if I'm not? What if I need help? Yeah. So then you, you obviously, you obviously spoke up. Yeah. You obviously said something to them. Yeah. What, I, do you remember what? I just like, yeah, we need help. We had a fall. We're stuck here. Mm. So, something to that effect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And because, um, you know, you're 700 feet apart trying to. Why would they ask you guys if you needed help over anybody else? Well, they don't know, right? Yeah. Well, they saw We're just blinking strobe. a light. So, so like. The strobe, is that a distress yeah, call? Yeah. And That's intentional. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I could have just left a straight blink. So obviously yeah. I'm already subconsciously like I should be, <laughs> I should be looking for help. I'm sending yeah, a strobe. I think so. Yeah. And um, God bless everybody who was on top of that mountain that day. Um, and these two guys who come down on a 700 foot static line with a gurney, I had to get myself on the gurney and it was bad. And the reason I know it was bad was because what I didn't realize was going on was this was getting filmed by a discovery film crew. This is the Paul Harvey rest of the story. So some like wilderness, uh, documentary crews making a documentary. I happen to be one of the rescues they document that summer. And I just watched this a couple uh, weeks ago with my daughter. I don't. I pulled this DVD out. This is probably the third time I've watched it. I'll tell you what. 
Um, and then they, they, the film crew had me come out to Chicago like months later to talk about it. I do not recognize that guy. I do not recognize that guy. And I'm like, now I get why my wife is like, you shouldn't really talk about this the way you used to. It doesn't really represent the Lord or, or do him much service or honor or good. And I'm watching this guy talk about it in retrospect and I'm watching it with my daughter and she was just like, you look goofy. I'm like, yeah, I was goofy. I was younger and I was, I was, I, th there was still like arrogance in there. I could, I could totally see it. I was like, wow. And I, like, I always know I was very arrogant and proud person. Um, but I just didn't really realize how bad until a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> it was like a good reminder of, um, you know, that's who you are without Christ. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they flew me into a Merced. I got a helicopter ride and I had a trauma doc and an orthopedic surgeon and an ER guy. And, and everybody's walked in one after the other. Like, don't know why you're alive. You're lucky. Next doctor. And they, I don't know why. I think, I think they actually sent that many doctors just to like, because <laughs> I yeah. don't know, it was like a novelty for them right. or a joke. I mean, like they knew with the first doctor I was going to be okay. They sent me home with a back brace and, and I healed. I came home and went back to work and I tried hiding it from everybody. I was wearing a vest around this back brace so nobody would really, it's Colorado, everybody wears a vest, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, and I went about like that. Um, and uh, I never saw Ryan again after that. Um, and, uh, my wife and I got married the following year. I proposed to her in February and you would have thought like you're, and, and I started going back to church with her that, that autumn. Okay. And she was like, I'm a, I'm a Christian. If this is going to be a relationship that's going to stuff, like you're coming, you know, you're, you're coming. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. and, uh, that was my two years of, uh, you know, living through those two things. And then playing Christian. Mm -hmm. Like I was born in the church. I know about the church. I know all this stuff. Yeah. I know what you're talking yeah. about. This is all good. Like it was a non-denominational church. And I was like, okay, this is kind of weird music. And you know, where's the where's the incense and candles and you know, yeah. where are the robes and stuff? But I get it. And and um because of your Catholic upbringing. Because my Catholic for, upbringing. For yeah, 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 yeah. And um you know, the, 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 the message around all this, I guess it's just like I said, it's, it, 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 we are so hopeless and helpless at the same time. And there's absolutely, without God, without yeah. Jesus, specifically. On our own. On the power of the Holy Spirit. On our own. We are just hanging by a rope on the side of a mountain. Yeah. Completely unable to save ourselves and completely broken. Yep. Right. Physically and spiritually all the time. And if you aren't broken, you just aren't broken yet. You just didn't get yourself in the, the wrong enough place at the right enough time to get yourself broken enough. And the funny thing was that the real breaking didn't happen until two years later. It was in the, uh, it was November 19th and 11.45 in the morning when I came to the Lord. And it was, it was blessed her by the aid of my wife asking a lot of good questions. Actually, her brother, my brother-in-law Sterling asked her when we were in the middle of a big marital trauma. And, um, uh, man. And that's when I finally broke. And, uh, it was funny because I re I remember that, that morning of like, wow, you know, like I didn't get broken off the side of a mountain and I'm here, but if I walk out of this room, out of my bedroom 
and I walk down the stairs and I ignore these questions from my wife and I ignore like, am I actually saved? Is Jesus Christ really my Lord and Savior? If I walk down those stairs and I fall down those stairs and die here in my own home, I will definitely go to hell. There is no doubt. And I got to stop pretending like this is not all around me all the time, like a sliver away. Mm. Um, so yeah, like that, it was, it was, you know, it was two years of denying what, what had actually really happened. I think so many guys are living in the, the situation that you were in during those two years. I see a lot of guys who are very educated, very smart, successful in their jobs, and they are playing Christian. Oh, yeah. Right? And usually a common thread in these stories is their wife is a Christian, their wife wants them to go to church. And they're like, exactly like you were thinking, they're like, yeah, okay, I can play this. Sure, not a big deal. Right? To them, it's kind of like a um, like a social club, mm -hmm. right? It's a hymn singing rotary club. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're like, yeah, sure. I'll go to this thing every Sunday and get a free cup of coffee and network yeah. with my, my business. Or a it's little like bit. A, I go to church for my, it's one of those things I do for my family, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's like, there's a lot yeah, of, I'm a good, I want to be a good husband, good father. I, I'll take my family to church almost as like a badge of honor, you know? Yeah. So many men are um, just phoning it in. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I I was unwilling to admit just basically how depraved in general I was. I mean, I my I always tell my wife, well, I don't tell her enough. <laughs> like when we when we get into it, I'm like, you, you I, when it comes up, I let her. I'm like, you are a Proverbs 31 wife, but really, she's a First Peter three wife. Yeah, and she was obedient to the Lord and living a life that would has the potential to change her husband's mind. And she did. And, um, yeah, I don't know if women listen to this podcast, but you know, I'm sure you've, you've probably been, like, been to a lot of women's luncheons and you're like, be a Proverbs 31 wife. I'm like, well, right. if you're living with an unsaved man, um, be a first Peter three wife that, that is way more impactful. So <laughs> it's, it's, of course, so of you, course we all know yeah. what those references are, <laughs> but for our listeners, yeah, 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 what yeah, is yeah. a Proverbs? Proverbs Cause uh, I know, I know. Yeah, so you want to take this goose? Yeah, so the Proverbs thirty-one wife, you know, is like the uh, the the virtuous, um, yeah. industrious. She, yeah, she's she's smart. She's out like yeah, she's she's out like being thrifty and making good investments for her family and and all that. Um, but the First Peter three wife, tell us tell us what you mean by that. Um, I'm get well, and you've got your Bible yeah, here, and I and this thing looks like it's I know. been up a few uh, man. I could have jumped through mountains the radio. as well. This this Bible for our listeners, it looks like it may have fallen off of half dome. <laughs> I could have jumped well, through the Bible, well it's wrapped in brown paper, yeah, and packaging tape. Well, that's how you do your I that's how it. you do your books when that's you're how out. we used to do book covers, yeah. Yeah, here it is. It's the first one. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Oh, wow. Your beauty should not come from your outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearings of gold jewelry and fine clothes, but rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. 
Yeah. I keep going. That's yeah, that's powerful. You know, and, and the admonition, husbands in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Yeah. So my wife would say, so what, you don't think I'm pretty? <laughs> I just have inner beauty. <laughs> yeah. You can't win sometimes. Yeah. So That's fast great. forward. So part three of death month. So uh, go to 2000. It's, it's pandemic. So it's years later. This is 2020. Yeah, August. And uh, uh, shout out in our home state of Michigan. I'm up north in yeah. the lake area up around Traverse. Okay. Yeah, I was in the Thumb. Yeah, right on. I was in South Thumb, yeah. And Detroit, uh, Flint area. Yep. Um, kind of a family reunion. Brothers and sisters getting together, nieces and nephews. Mom and dad are there. Mom's been trying to get this for years, get everybody to show up. So my one brother and my one sister show up, everybody um, with their kids. My other two brothers can't make it. And um, uh, it's a good time. We show up, except that uh, it's it's Airbnb, and the first we show up, and lake's great, views are great. The house, kind of dumpy, really oversold. And I'm trying to get into the I'm the first one in the door to unlock it and notice there are yellow jackets all over the front of the house. Oh yeah. And eventually, what we realize is that the panel, it was really weird. Like all the all the fuses, the panel is like right next to the door. It's one of these weird just cabin houses that's been mm -hmm. like built on and built on and built on. It probably wasn't a door there at one point or whatever. So uh, we get everybody inside, you know, file some complaints to their Airbnb. Like, hey, you know, you got to get these yellow jackets taken care of. And we're trying to have a vacation here. So they send out some property manager. And um, this property manager shows up and he's struggling. We're <laughs> sitting in the backyard, like on the dock. Kids are in the lake in and out, having fun, jumping off piers. And we're watching this guy struggling with yellow jackets and sprays and whatever it turns out there's like a whole nest is like literally right next to the front door in the wall behind the wood panel yeah behind yeah behind the electrical panel yeah and it's and it's in there so uh dinner time everybody's getting hungry i'm on barbecue patrol i'm cooking and uh everybody's inside and a couple of stray yellow jackets are still making their way out back and I'm getting really irritated with, you know, and, and I, I grabbed a broom over there. I was just kind of like, what did this guy do? I thought he got this nest taken care of, you know, because we'd seen him out there like stomping on the nest and spraying the nest. And he's not an exterminator. I don't even know why this guy was doing it. They should have had an exterminator, but yeah. whatever. And um, so I got there and there's like a couple of stray ones. And, and I take this broom. And I'm just like, OK, I'm just going to swat these guys and like shoo them out of here. And that, it was that always works. That always works, yeah. you know. And it's like the cartoons, you know, where like the hornet just, you know, it's keister rears up and it's like, yeah. you know, gets. And and that guy got me right in the left shoulder, and you can't see it on my shirt. I have a labyrinth tattoo with a cross in the middle. And this this bugger gets me right on the edge of of this tattoo. And stings it, and like my inner Boy Scout kicks in. I'm like, oh man, this thing is like really smarting. And I hadn't been stung by a yellow jacket since I was like nine. And I remember it because I got stung in the neck on Mackinac Island. And I remember my dad going mm. into the store at the dock to get a cold can of Coke and put it on my neck to make the swelling go down. I'm like, all right, I got to get this sting cleaned out. Um, I got to, you know, deal with all the swelling or whatever, or, or it could be coming. And I head upstairs, get upstairs. Wash it all out. My wife's like, man, what are you yelling and, and huffing and puffing about? Like, oh, I got, you know, stunned by yellow jacket. And she walks downstairs. 
And she turns to walk downstairs and I go after her. And each step, it's like that slowdown is happening again. <laughs> and I'm go and I kicked in and I'm like, uh-oh. Oh no, this is allergic reaction. And each step was like slower and slow. Yeah. I couldn't get downstairs and everybody's downstairs and I'm upstairs alone. It's and like, I get it's like down. an old school. Like, That's exactly crazy, what man. I was picturing. You're I, crazy. Will Ferrell with the dart in his neck. <laughs> you got a freaking dart in your neck. You're crazy, man. <laughs> I get so I get down. It's like it's like the longest 12 steps or 15 yeah. steps. I get down. There's an armchair down there. And I, I I remember I slumped into it. I mean, I fell into the chair and I'm starting to feel myself black out. And Monique comes and she's like, what? what's wrong? What's wrong? And I was like, get Benadryl, get it now. And I passed out. And then he heard, hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> Dude, I just read that Psalm yesterday. You're creeping me out. Don't do that. I study. What is with this guy? Shadow. Shadow. The shadow. That's why I'm here, man. Yeah. <laughs> my friend darkness is here to... <laughs> <laughs> sorry proceed <laughs> so it gets really ugly that, that was like two minutes i was like up and moving swatting a horn uh, a yellow jacket and mm -hmm. literally within the course of a couple minutes i'm down on the ground i woke up four hours later had no idea what had happened and everybody gives me the story so basically complete anaphylaxis pass out not breathing drooling throats closing off and um I mean, imagine your mom, your dad, your wife, your kids, your brother, your sister, and your nieces and nephews all standing around you <laughs> watching you die. Yeah. Mm. And I'm not exactly certain, and nobody really quite knows what caused the heart attack. Was it the anaphylaxis or was it all the epinephrine that started happening? So again, there are no accidents. My nephew has allergies. Um, and I can't remember what is the nut allergy. He had two expired EpiPens that are sized for a middle schooler. Mm. And he, my sister had him go get it and they jabbed him into me. And the EMTs proceeded to do more for the next 40 minutes on the way into Traverse, Traverse City. And they were like, if you had not had those two minuscule doses of epinephrine in you, what we put into you would have done nothing. You would not be here. Yeah. And I remember waking up and I was just like, you know, it's like roid raging else, you know, EpiPen running through your body and steroids and Benadryl and you're all doped up and you're like kind of freaking out in the hospital. What's mm. going on? It took a while to figure out what was going on. And, um, man, that was, a, that was not a great family vacation. Wow. I'll tell you that, that was rough. I had, I, you know, I had no idea. I so you said you had a heart attack. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. crazy, dude. Like <laughs> that kind of just like slid into the story, yeah. right? Just like. <laughs> It's yeah. like lightning didn't take you out. Falling off of a rock face didn't take you out. A single yellow jacket Almost on vacation was your closest near-death yeah. experience. Common factor in all three of these, bad decisions. <laughs> August. <laughs> and August. Yeah. So I hope you play the lottery in August, though. Like, that's your lucky month. I'm lucky. <laughs> So let me, let me, let me fast forward to what happened before the devotion in August. So July yeah. was my sister's wedding and, um, she got, she got remarried and, um, and that's part of the reason I brought this Bible. Cause I was listening to you guys on Thursday. I'm not kidding. Like I could have like jumped into Spotify, like sat right. at the table and like just drop truth with you guys. In you the just moment. did. Right, you jumped Bible. here. You're right here. <laughs> yeah. Drop it. I was like, it's the study Bible. It's the NIV. That's the one yeah. you get. You know? Yeah. Is that the one you have right <laughs> yeah. there? Yeah. yeah. What, what, stu what study Bible is that? It's NIV. 
the it's the NIV, which okay. is a funny story because my wife got it purely just because it was on the shelf at like Home Goods or something on on yeah, go for it. And um, uh, I mean that's what I grew up with. I, you know, I had the NAB was the Catholic. I've never not had a study Bible. Yeah, and um, so I got that. Uh, not the the TNIV. I got the NIV for my nephew this yeah. July, and I met him. I pulled him aside. We went climbing. I took I him have for that, a pitch. I have that same bible i think it's just the regular niv study yep. bible it's not yep. like a special edition or anything yeah yeah and i set him down we went to uh, el dorado uh canyon we went rock climbing and i pulled liam aside and i shared the gospel with him down on the creek and el dorado was like look what do you what do you and, yeah I, I did the reverse of what's going to happen <laughs> you're going to die i said what do you think would happen if i died mm. you know we had that conversation and he was like well you know because he had he had spent some time in catholic schools and i just i just cleared him up i'm like uh, your answer that I'm a pretty good guy is not the answer that's getting me to heaven. And I said, if you knew how horrible a person I was, <laughs> the anger, the porn addiction, the uh, just intellectual superiority, I mean, just like on and on and on. Right. I mean, there's not enough time to talk about the simple person I was, <laughs> am currently still. Right. Um, you know, and I, I, I let him know, I was like, look, dude, that's not a mistake. I'm like, if you were scared, good. You're a Boy Scout. Stick with it. I was. That's why you and I, you know, had some tools and knew what to do. And and um, I was like, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you how to think or or make up your mind for you. But you got a gift coming. It's a Bible. Um, and uh, you examine it and you think for yourself and you ask questions and you call me when you have them. Yeah. And, um, I did underline some things. I, I talked about it, that devotion. You mentioned that, mm -hmm. you know, about leaving your Bible marked because it was my grandmother who did yeah. it for us, for it's our family Bible. Story, yeah. Right? And I said, you got it. You got to know John one through five. There's a table waiting for you. I promise you great grandma's there. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no doubt in my mind. That's cool, man. So you've been through all these experiences and, uh, and now you're sharing the gospel. Yeah. And now you're, you're the, you're the guy giving the gospel. I don't share it enough. That would be, uh, that, that's where I fall short still. I think that's something we're all working on. And I, I think if I would leave anybody to like, what in the world was this all about all these events in August? I would say like, um, you know, like I said at the beginning, you're, you, you will never quite understand what's going on in the moment that God's trying to do in your life, either as a non-believer or as a believer. I mean, there's plenty of stories of non-believers used in the Bible. Yeah. Um, be grateful. Take your 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 history, your personal history and memory is a gift. I don't uh, reflect on it enough. I guess my encouragement would be reflect on those things. My wife used to have like a blessings book of things that had happened in her life that were reminders of when when God was moving in her life or or the family's life. And, um, you know, these stories are like, they're not my blessing book, but like August is my, I don't know. I, at the end of that devotion, I said, I got to stop calling this death month. I got to call it life month. Yeah. I got, you know, I'm like, if I can write celebrate life in my iPhone and, and remind myself and then not do it. Death month sells better though. <laughs> <laughs> totally sells better, but it, it, like, that's the end, right? That's right. how you go in, but that's not yeah. how you want to come out. Yeah, exactly. That's so true. And, you know. I think, you know, everything bad that happens to us in our past, all of our, all of our sins, all of our, um, you know, past episodes that we wish we could forget, God uses every single one of those 
for good. He redeems our stories and it's still unfolding for you. Right. And you might not realize it all. Who knows what's going to happen in the future, who you're going to run into, who you're going to be able to talk to because of your past, you're going to have a unique open door to share God with, with a different group of people. Yeah. And I think that's, what's, what's a, a big part of this, you know, God's kept you alive yeah, for, for a some, purpose, for some big reasons. Yeah. And that's, and, and you may have already planted those seeds, right? Sometimes you do it without realizing it. Right. Yeah. And, um, I think we're, sometimes we have this like movie moment in our mind that we're thinking is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, I'm going to get, I hope I get some big opportunity to share the gospel yeah. or something. But I think it's the, uh, it's the, it's the little daily ones. Yeah, you know, it's the it's the regular interactions day in day out with people, where we're, um, you know, we're representing Christ every day through our actions. That that's what plants the seed. That's what changes lives. Um, and it's not always the big event. It's the it's the dozens of little ones. Well, pops, man, it's been great having you on the podcast. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank yeah, you dude. so much awesome. for sharing your stories, for bringing in your light and your trekking poles and your harness and the rain jacket that was struck by lightning <laughs> yeah. and this Bible wrapped in paper. Um, this has been just absolutely amazing hearing your story. I appreciate your time. Yeah, yeah dude. And also I just want to thank you for what you bring to men's Alliance every week. I know we're about out of time here, but the um, first time I met you, I uh, was during a workout and I was like, who is this machine over here beside me that is just yeah. cranking out the Murphys? So you're sharpening guys around the fire with both workouts and devotions. And um, I'm just honored to be in your tribe. Yeah. Appreciate likewise. you, brother. Yeah, man. All right, guys, we look forward to uh, um, hearing your comments. Send us emails, info at mensalliancetribe.com and getting more stories out from more tribesmen like pops and i look forward to seeing you guys around the fire soon thanks for listening to another episode of the men's alliance podcast find your tribe at men's alliance tribe.com or maybe you're the man to start one in your area and send us your questions or comments to info at men's alliance tribe.com we'd love to hear from you and we look forward to seeing you around the fire soon